Rise and shine, campers! It's another beautiful day out here at Video High Summer Camp. Now let's all stay inside and watch a movie. Welcome to Video High, your B-movie education. Today's movie is 1980-somethings, <laughs> Summer Camp Nightmare. Before we get to the book report, let's do the roll call. Josh Roth. So remember last episode when I said that Steel Dawn was the most misleading title since Naked Lunch? <laughs> yeah, I was wrong. This is the most misleading <laughs> title since Naked Lunch. Really? It should have been called Lord of the Bug Juice. <laughs> Jamie Kennedy. Hello, Mata, from the front lines. Here I am at Old Camp North Pines. Camp is very entertaining, where the revolutionaries have me training. <laughs> Casey Regan. All right, let's hold it down. You all know me. I'm Casey Regan. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, wait, you guys are supposed to clap when I start doing that. <laughs> Why don't I get applause like Ed Hines? <laughs> because, Casey, you need to be an example of what society thinks a fine black man can be in order for you to get that applause. <laughs> a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. And I'm Greg Hansen, and uh, despite this movie being directed by Burt L. Dragon, I think this movie had a really speedy pace. <laughs> nice drag on, dude drag on wheels turning okay, yep. nice. like, okay. it's not dragon it's not drag dragon it's, it's, it's not dragon it's not it's dragon. dragon again especially if you watch it at 1.25 speed <laughs> monster you are a monster jamie if you let me watch this by myself i will watch the movie at 1.25 speed oh that, this is a crazy wild. movie to watch at one point <laughs> yeah what? it moves at a blistering pace 1.25 this movie i was writing more than watching the movie i had oh. so many notes I had to rewind. all nonsense. oh my god there was so i mean that, i do end up pausing and catching up more so really it all it all evens out in the you're wash. doing the video high equivalent of reading only the cliff notes yes <laughs> which is what I did for both Lord of the Flies and Animal Farm so it feels very appropriate hello everybody thank you so much for coming out to the table read of the pilot of Freeform's YA version of Salo 120 Days of Sodom <laughs> We're currently between a final title right now, so we will have you each fill out a questionnaire at the end to see which you like better, either Little Fascists or Bug Juice Commandos. <laughs> a little housekeeping before we start. Casey, you will be our hot but evil fascist leader, Franklin. Jamie, you will play all of the Gorl characters. Uh, they're not really named, but you could give them a little personality. Typical. I will play the stunning counter-revolutionary, Chris. Greg, can you take care of the sound effects? I know this is a table read, but uh, let's uh, have some fun with it, okay? 
Uh, and uh, Greg, will you do the honors? Ah, uh, sure. Um, <clears throat> uh, interior bus day. There no, is no, a group. So, sorry, Greg. Uh, can you do the sound effects? <laughs> oh, oh, geez, I'm so sorry. Um, much better. Let's skip these exposition scenes. So let's move right along to page nineteen, top of nineteen. Oh, uh, <coughs> um, I'm Minnie Mussolini, and I want to turn taking over this camp into a game, a deadly game. What do you think, Runk? Uh, who, who's Runk? Uh, you, Greg. Uh, uh, <clears throat> oh, oh, uh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's a great idea, boss. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the Goyles camp, <laughs> Greg, sound effects. <laughs> I am girl one, and I think it's great that we're being liberated from our oppressors and our clothes. <laughs> hold it, hold it, and our clothes? Josh, I thought this was YA. Yeah, and? There are some pretty explicit themes and scenes in what needs to be TVPG if you're going to play to the young adult crowd. I should know. Oh, you misunderstand, toots. YA no longer stands for young adult. It's, yeah, and? And it's about shoving tonally disparate scenes together to make biting satire. You see, we take kids in red short shorts and give them guns. Seems a strange mix, but when some armchair Umberto Eco points that out, you respond, yeah, and? Completely dismantles their argument. If we can't use AI to steal background actors' likenesses in perpetuity, we have to figure out something convoluted and wasteful that nobody wants. We're wasting time over here. Greg, sound effects. Blam, blam, blam. Oh, ah, um, uh, uh, Chris Allies, you'll never take me down. It is me, the dashing hero, Chris Allies. Frankie Axis, you've met your match. Oh, Ow, my face. Ooh, my nuts. Uh, dang, you got me right in the stolen goods from the proletariat. Isn't this all a little on the nose? Yeah, and... Jesus Christ. Oh, ooh, that's a good idea. I'm taking that. That was my idea. You all heard it, not Jamie's. <laughs> I have been bested. My frail European parented body was no match for good old American hard body beef in the form of Hunky Chris. That is right, Frankie Axis, but I know who you really are. Axis is only your middle name, Frankie Axis Stein. Screech! What? Oh, yeah. Great plot twist, John. Thank you. Thank you. Wait, so it's an obvious allegory for the indoctrination of youth, but also a monster show? Yep. <laughs> The focus groups say that kids love monsters. So this is a show for kids. Oh, yeah, for sure. But it's totally all over the place and falls into many of the pitfalls it satirizes. Yeah, and? <laughs> Frankie Stein. Axis Stein. He's Frankie's, Frankie Stein. Frankie Axis Frankie Stein. Frankie Axis Stein. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Wait, was this whole book report written quickly because we didn't laugh enough at the dragon joke? Is <laughs> 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 this, this punishment? <laughs> this will show them. To the revolution! To the revolution! To the revolution! Summer camp nightmare. What started as a summer of fun? Oh, come on. Anybody can cross that thing. Oh, yeah? Became a nightmarish game. I'll do it if you'll do it. In this camp, kids won't just be kids. 
They'll be killers. From now on, you do exactly as I say. Do you understand? decree of the Supreme Revolutionary Committee. Controlled by the deadliest one of them all. His punishment is to cross the rope bridge. Okay, then it's party time at Camp North Pines tonight. A leader who gave them what they thought they wanted. Jim on. We're having a real life revolution with guns and knives and boys and girls sleeping together and everything. It's the best camp ever. Love, Keith. So, get ready for a summer of action with Summer Camp Nightmare. Street date, May 13th. Greg, did you know where this movie was going when you chose it? Or did you choose it, like, based on the title? No, I knew that it was more Lord of the Flies. Like, I knew it was a fascist overtone movie. Because I was fully expecting Franklin to turn into a Jason. Like, I was like, all right, well, he's going to murder all these kids, I mean, he kind of did, but like a philosophical Jason, you know. (laughs) Uh, What's the real monster? Is it the serial killer that's running around killing people? Or is it the darkness that lies in the heart of all people? And if you just allow that to come out, they will end up murdering each other. Other. To steal from Greg, <laughs> yes, and yeah, I believe th- this was based on the book Fart of Darkness. <laughs> <laughs> I was excited this was based on a book. Is this our first Wait, movie I totally based on? That. It's based on a book called The Butterfly Revolution. What? Uh, which goes to How basically the that? same places, but does have a couple differences that were wisely changed for a oh. broadcast. What year was the book? Uh, 1961. Okay, so it definitely has problematic elements. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> I mean, the poster art for the VHS, at least, of this movie also... I know, White Power. Uh, that, it, oh, my it gives oh. White Power. Oh, I mean, White Power is one thing, but it has a big screaming face of the girl being raped as, oh, like, it's... Oh, that's a different one. That's a different... There it is. Oh, there my it is. God. Yeah, that's worse. Okay, that's oh. worse. <laughs> I feel like we just expect Summer Camp plus B-Movie equals slasher in like everyone's mind so it's very well, po- interesting to- post friday the 13th for sure oh like yeah. they knew absolutely they knew exactly what they were doing which is very i think that's very interesting whether or not it's successful is uh, another question but I, I, I mean i'd say yes i really liked this thing I, 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 I dug yeah, it too. i'm not a smart man but this movie's my politics now <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but we also get, it, does Chuck Connors move into actor most in a video high uh I think he does, because right? Because of this? He's been in like at least four? This is at least, yeah, this is at least three for sure. It might be four. Yeah. It is funny that this is among the earliest of the movies we've covered, and yet he for sure looks the oldest out <laughs> yes. of any of the movies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. His bad toupee. Like, I just feel bad for people that they ever felt like they had to look like this. I know. Yeah, right. <laughs> when, when he's introduced and Runk and Mason, they're like, who's the creep over there? And he goes, yeah, that guy sure does look creepy to me. And he turned around. I was like, oh, no, me too, Chuck. (laughs) I never realized quite how creepy you look. Damn you, Mason. I also love that he walked out of the bus 
to his title card. That was a great beat. Mm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was amazing. Powerful. Powerful stuff. <laughs> the opening titles are real TV movie. The font looks like it's like a, a real groovy good time. Yeah. yeah. And it didn't help that similarly Chuck Connors walks out to his own title card. Looks like he's going to spike the camera wink at us and be yeah. like, have fun, kids. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't have felt that out of place with all the commercial breaks that the film takes. <laughs> It wouldn't have felt out of place by the fact that this movie, the kids get to camp, nobody is there, and they are immediately on activity time. Like, they, this is the most organized group of inner city 'er (laughs) ne'er-do-wells. And one country club dropout. I really, uh... Felt confronted with that when they were like, all right, everyone who's playing football, let's go. And like 15 kids ran over to play football. It's like, is that how simple life used to be? (laughs) I, I like really had a moment of ennui. I could just get people together and do things. Oh, God, what am I now? I had the opposite reaction where I was like, oh, God, eight hours of singing camp songs on a bus. Like, life sucked before cell phones. (laughs) Speaking as someone who went to camp eight hours on a bus, yes, yes, it did. And then I got my MP3 player, and it was great. Like, that counselor was just there, and he was just singing Hail to the Bus Driver non-stop for eight hours. This movie definitely gave me some Vietnam flashbacks at points, <laughs> yeah. This is the personal log of Captain Donald Poultry, starting 1987. You can call me Doc or Duck. I'm not entirely sure which one it is. No, I agree. <laughs> Maybe Duck like the copyrighted Disney character, or Doc because of my glasses, briefcase, full of gadgets, and general nerdery. My summer vacation at Camp North Pine started off pretty normal. There was all this usual camp stuff. Insulting cultural imagery, archery, swimming, girls. Everyone was unpacking their briefcases full of backstory into their bugs. While I tricked a CIT, that's counselor in training, into looking like a doofus. I told Stanley, or as he called himself, Runk the Punk, that I had a computer that could tell his personality, but really, it was just my trusty tape recorder playing back, You're a Giant Purple Dork, which I obviously recorded far in advance, knowing I would get picked on by a giant purple dork. Stanley was not too happy, but my counselor Chris protected me. He was the best. This year, there was a new head counselor named Mr. Warren. Boy, he was a real stick in the mug. I mean, come on, the guy collected butterflies. He instituted some new draconian rules. No swearing, cigarettes, or booze. He rigged the TV to only show a religious channel. He set up a detention room, though he tried to sell it to us as a meditation center, which seems like a real gaslighting scenario. (laughs) And worst of all, for the more horny boys among us... I I didn't... didn't, How dare you? And worst what of all, I, what for, I, I, she pulled up Instagram. I pulled up Instagram and then it made sounds. Jamie, <laughs> during the announcements? <laughs> I had a message. I was just reading it. It's oh fun. my God. Josh is doing the announcement. I was in character. You broke it. Sorry. Why are you even doing a voice? He's you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, the beginning of the end of the marriage has started on screen. 
<laughs> what are you talking about? Josh is playing an incredibly it's, out there character. It's <laughs> glasses wearing nerd who brought his own computer to summer camp. <laughs> yeah. Definitely yeah. not something I did for several years. Yeah, uh, Josh right now is really stretching as a performer by playing a glasses wearing nerd speaking into a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nerd in the nerd in the most respectful sense, Josh. Take it as meant. Lest any of us believe you are trapped in any sort of box. <laughs> Those were gorgeous fingernails, my friend. Oh, <laughs> Those are beautiful. Coca-Cola red. Coca-Cola. Not that big of a nerd. You didn't know who Umberto Eco was. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, whoa, continue. Whoa, the phone's away. <laughs> And worst of all, for the more horny amongst the boys, he closed the rickety rope bridge to the girls' camp. Undeterred by rules and fueled by hormones, the CITs dared each other to cross the bridge, which spanned over an endless ravine of jagged rocks that, I guess, encircled the entire camp? Although later in the summer, the older boys did seem to get to and from the girls' camp quite easily. In any case, Franklin, who made CIT stand for Country Club Involved Teenager, decided to test his theory of society controlling us through fear by crossing the bridge. It gave way and he fell, but he climbed his way back to safety. Later that day, everyone went swimming. Well, everyone except for me, because I don't know how to swim. Chris tried to teach me, but I almost drowned. Luckily, Franklin took a break from reading Civil Disobedience by Thoreau to dive in and save me. He did seem to take a long while to do it, though. Hmm. Franklin claims that one of the younger campers named Peter told him Mr. Warren got inappropriate with him on one of his butterfly walks, though in hindsight, we shouldn't have believed anything that polo-wearing future white-collar criminal said. <laughs> that night, everyone was watching TV in the rec room. That's right, the boys were so desperate for TV that they were willing to sit through a public access channel of a preacher spouting religious nonsense. Meanwhile, Franklin was teaching me how to play chess. I know what you're thinking. There's no way in hell that a kid like you, with those glasses and a briefcase full of computers, didn't already know how to play chess. <laughs> you're probably right, but I let him pretend to teach me anyway. Then everyone called upon my technical prowess to fix the TV. I was scared to go on the roof alone, so Chris came with me. I removed the signal blocker, realigned the antenna, and reversed the neutron flow to tune the TV to the sexy MTV channel. <laughs> everyone was so happy. For one brief shining moment, I was the coolest kid in camp. And then Mr. Warren showed up. He sent Chris and I to his meditation center jail until the talent show with the girls camp that night. Hammond was really hamming it up as the MC of the talent show. Though his raps were pretty tight, as the cool kids say. Anyway, three of the girls sang a song about how lonely we boys were telling us to go down south, which was when I realized that their camp was called South Pines and ours was North Pines. So it was some clever little wordplay there. If there was any deeper meaning, like sexually, it definitely went over my preview message. <laughs> then Runk and another guy whose name I never caught the whole summer sang a pretty raunchy song about their beef bologna, aka their penises. 
That's where Warren drew the line, though. He sent the girls back to South Pines and canceled the co-ed dance. So far, the summer was pretty normal. Little did I know it would soon take a radical tonal shift into a completely different genre. <laughs> this is Captain Douglas, Doc or Duck, Poultry, signing off. So the bottom line is, here I am at camp, just where I didn't want to be. Now that I'm here, I might as well make the best of it. Hey, kid, it's cabin cleaning time. Let's go. Hey, what's that, a tape recorder? It's a computer. It analyzes people's personalities and voice patterns. Yeah? Do me. Okay. Just tell it your name, age, and why you came to camp. My name's Stanley Runk. My friends call me Runk the Punk, and I'm a CIT. That means counselor in training. And if this don't work, your ass is grass. Please tell us Mr. Runk's basic personality. You're a giant purple dork. I really thought the beginning of this movie was like setting up our tasty vittles, you know, just being like, here's all the stab victims you'll see later. Wow, all these kids are going to die? Lots of young kids. (laughs) Yeah, they are a good portrayal of a summer camp because there are both like eight-year-olds and 18-year-olds. Yeah, that's camp. Especially the 18-year-olds of the CIA. Yeah, it sure seemed like the... The cutoff age for this one, though, might have been like 41, 42. (laughs) (laughs) CW ages is is what we're saying. Yeah, yeah. I appreciated this movie's dogged insistence in the misdirect, right? That it's like, we're at camp. Let's go crazy. And we have like a... Several songs in the opening. There yeah. sure are a lot of songs. There's a lot of MIDI keyboard happening. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of splashing around in the lake and playing football and opening suitcases full of, uh, yeah, full of contraband. Playing camp songs on guitar. There's, yeah, there's so much. And it's not just in the first 10 to set it up. They return to that well, like, uh, a lot. They have so much that they have to, I feel like they have to shock the well halfway through the movie just to make sure that there isn't uh, any, uh, (laughs) that this is still good, that this well isn't a problem. There's nothing in the first 30 minutes of the movie that leads you to believe anything that happens in the later two-thirds of the movie is going to happen. And yet, there are things in the later two-thirds of the movie that go like, it's very serious. That we got a party right now! Yeah. <laughs> For all the girls coming back from the lynching, arts and crafts will be by the <laughs> station. I'm dying to get into the lake! <laughs> <laughs> Get this guy, Alcatraz. <laughs> All right, fellas, let's hold it down. You all know me. I'm Ed Hines. This is Jack Caldwell, our sports director. But now I'd like to introduce our new camp director, Mr. Warren. And since this is his first time with us this year, let's show him how attentive we can be. As you just heard, this is my first year. I know. I've this guy used to be principal of Braxton High. And I look That's forward cool. to our associates. That must be a real schnazzy, huh? Boys, we're going to have a wonderful time this summer. But first, I'd like to explain the rules. 
There'll be no swearing. And of course, no cigarettes or alcoholic beverages. Now, due to the drastic cutback in funds, we have less counselors this year, but there are still plenty of activities. Oh, we got TV. I'm missing Dallas. <laughs> we got TV here in the rec hall, but we didn't come all this way to watch TV. Because of the sex and violence on TV, first thing Warren does, I've taken Jerry rigs the TV so he gets one channel. Yeah? Which one? You know the one with all that religion? find it in likes. He says it's good for our souls. Besides, it's good for your souls. Chuck Connors playing this character is great. I Whoever yeah. casted this is such a funny thing because he's... Like, maybe he's not even acting. He seems so awkward playing this character in a way that feels really awesome in terms of, like, like someone who's completely out of his element, someone who feels deeply strange in his own skin, who's interacting with, like, uh, tough street youths or whatever, and to have, like, a guy who made his, his career, like riding horses and shooting people just to be like, I'm all about Jesus and like my pants are hiked up too high and wearing like the worst toupee and huge glasses is such a funny casting choice. Uh, And mirroring him in the girls camp with like the oldest people to ever live counselors, like camp directors is extremely funny. Well, this is this movie... It's a wet, hot American Lord of the Flies. (laughs) But it's like a very thoroughly American take on that story, right? And the moment this movie was made, you know, the president of the United States was a sleepy actor who used to ride on horses and shoot people, talked a lot about Jesus and his... Wow. And had like a dowdy white hair. Oh, yeah, it is true that the... Yeah, she did have real Nancy Nancy Reagan Reagan vibes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I I I just kept getting Golden Girls, but but uh, Reagan's correct. Yeah, I think it makes the casting of Chuck Connors all the more amazing. Like, actually totally. hilarious because because it's like all of this political satire and allegory it's using. You know, it goes in a lot of directions, but I think it's purposeful to look at the beginning as like we're living in this stilted, budgetary obsessed hyper Christian sure. sort of uh, whoa yeah the, yeah the slashed budgets of it is actually even yeah. funnier too because that right. it, that is a reagan era type thing oh that one God. would do it is very animal farm by way of american 1980s <laughs> yeah i mean it's a summer camp yeah. like very american iconography yeah, if any movie that we've done is subject to semiotics this one is it <laughs> Oh yeah, just dripping. Wow, yeah, right. It's like smart. Are we, yeah, this are we my, smart? This is exactly what I'm talking about. This is like a smart movie, which is why I think we should keep telling stories about uh, Josh's weird summer camp. Not just be people talking about a good movie on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Feels worthless. Come on, let's swim. Me? Yeah, come on, let's swim. Uh, no, I I can't swim. Walt, he's going to swim. Come on. Bob, what the heck? Oh, ho, ho, ho. Your glasses? Thank you, buddy. Oh, yeah, you do it. Oh, 
That is one tasty check. That's man. Nurse Newman. She must have drove over from the girls' camp. I love it. <laughs> hey, Donald, come out here and let Nurse Newman see that rash. No way. Donald, come out here right now. Oh, it's just a heat rash. <laughs> On your way. <laughs> this this movie has a fair bit of ominous foreshadowing. Yeah. I guess it does. Like, in hindsight, looking at the first act, the first act, I guess, does have some shadows that I didn't see the first time I was looking. Like, the drowning scene, when, mm. when Donald nearly drowns to death, is pretty fucking dark, and you you do linger on, like, the camera lingers on Franklin reading his book for a long while. It's so much so to the point where I wrote, uh, is he gonna go all Jason? I know, uh, yeah, I was like, oh, he's gonna let him drown. And, he's, and he just almost let him drown. Just to show that he's a psychopath. Just to show that the system will let you down at every turn and you should only follow Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> that he's your only hero. Yeah. I mean, he does use that as exploitation. That's cult. That's yeah. crazy. That's like the moment where he's like, all right, finally, the pieces are in place. It's like, that's wild to yeah. be like, I see, to see a little kid drowning and be like, oh, I know what to do next. <laughs> well, but, and, uh, and, but it's a twofold thing, isn't it? His first revelation is, this kid is drowning, I can do this. His second is, oh, this kid was maybe molested, and I can do something with that. That like that yeah. was the final piece of the puzzle for him, where he's like, oh, I can lead a revolution based on yeah, this you're right. real grasping at straws I'm taking. for Real. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't cover it in the Act 1 synopsis, because it doesn't fit with Donald's character. He wasn't there. He yeah. wasn't there, right, so right. he doesn't know. But the scene, it, I guess it is important to say, like Franklin is talking to Peter, who's a kid that peed his pants on the bus on the way there. So it's canonical. Everyone knows that Peter has a, uh, a problem. Bladder himself. problem. They yeah. call him PP Peter. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then he hears that on the butterfly walk, Mr. Warren got mad, grabbed him, and then Peter pissed his pants. And then uh, no, he Frank- didn't no, he mad. didn't get mad. He was oh, lifting, he didn't? He no. was lifting he was him up. He was holding him like- up. Yeah, just oh. to like help him like catch butterflies, and he got scared because he was so high. Uh, and then okay, he wow, wow. Franklin was really looking for yeah. a reason to start a revolution. Absolutely, but I, I just did like. Wait a minute, you're running for butterflies, and he like lifts you up, and yeah, I don't like that either. <laughs> yeah, I don't love it. <laughs> yeah, Jesus guy, put him down. <laughs> hands off, <laughs> hands off the urine-soaked child, please. <laughs> 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 Franklin is a very funny character in this because he's like, yeah, he's rich, he's European, he's the he's the bourgeoisie who's like coming to rouse the rabble to create like some authoritarian populist revolution. And of course, you know, they've got to dig at him that he's like, and his parents are European. <laughs> the European thing is interesting because at the end it kind of made a little bit of sense to me and this idea of like oh, he's yeah. a like he's a fascist and like his parents are living in Europe is like oh maybe his parents are like tail end of Italy because yeah. apparently Italy has had real issues oh, yeah. with fascist sympathizers post war you know, oh, yeah. like that. Well, because they didn't put the kibosh on things like Germany did, where Germany oh, was exactly. Like, no, 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 no. Nazis a four letter word, guys. Yeah. Nazis just so fun to say in an Italian accent. Nazi. <laughs> Nazi. Nazi. It's like Grazi, but Nazi. Nazi. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, Nazi is how you politely decline things in Italy. <laughs> Nazi. <laughs> Nazi. <laughs> uh, did you see that? No, I did not see. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I love the little Machiavellian acts that we sort of half miss at the beginning that foreshadow things later, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, the very, like, when he sees Duck drowning and he's reading civil disobedience <laughs> to me it's like him reading civil disobedience as opposed to you needing to know anything about it was basically the farewell to arms joke in evil dead 2. yeah, like, yeah. It's just like it's just like <laughs> uh and then yeah and then later he's playing chess with duck and just going like you know what that's what's great about this game is you know, you make clever little moves and eventually you can take out... Well, with your pawns. Believe it, like, yeah. with your pawns, yeah. Friends, Romans, and countrymen too. There's a little something I gotta tell you. They will make your hair frizzle. will make your fingers blister. So put your hands together for the South Park sisters. Boys must be bored here at North Pines. Only so much you can do. Come visit us, the girls down at South Point. You'll see that all your dreams come true. Up until that point, I, you know, I think it was pretty clear from the movie. Chuck Connors is a bit too strict, a bit too, you know, he's yeah. a stick in the mud. He's he's far too pious for the meatballs experience that all these boys want to have. And then the talent show happened, and I was like, oh, no, he's right. <laughs> that South Pines Girls song or whatever made me feel weird. Yeah, oh, that, that song is bizarre. really weird. Like it remind, I didn't go to summer camp, but when I through college, I was a substitute teacher. And would substitute teach for, like, middle school, right? And being in college and teaching middle schoolers, I wasn't quite so, like psychically far like I could remember being an eighth grader right like pretty vividly and I could remember all the like aggressively sexual thoughts I was having about my classmates and then I'd the, my class whatever substitute class would sit down and I'd look at the sea of infants in front of me <laughs> and then suddenly I was uh, the most Puritan I've ever met. <laughs> it's down. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Suddenly we cut back to Casey and he's dressed like the Quaker Oats guy. Yeah, I'm just I'm the bad guy from the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Just <laughs> gliding up and down the aisles. what was aisles. I more uncomfortable with? Um, that song or the MC's rapping in, uh, at this talent show? <laughs> That was that was some rough stuff. I liked the rapping. Oh, the, yeah, it made me just think that the eighties were just so bad in so many ways, right? Like yeah, it was yeah. truly there was it's very only because little. I saw though. rapping almost identical to that at talent shows at camp. I believe that that I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. I mean we did in the in last episode almost ex- identical. <laughs> yes. We, 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 <laughs> see episode sixty eight, true believers. <laughs> Oh shit! This is gonna be episode sixty-nine. Episode sixty-nine. Nice, 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 nice. Really good. Nice. <laughs> anyway, back to overly sexualized kids. Yeah. 
That basically means that these women, these girls, I almost said women. Yeah, don't. These, yeah. these don't girls mistake. either brought these outfits with them to camp. Oh, from home. From yeah. home. Or this camp that is run by Whistler's mother. <laughs> <laughs> has a costume shop. It has a robust theater department, Greg. They did Chicago last year. It seems like they're doing cabaret, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> but it doesn't compare to Fear's beef, 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 beef baloney. Boys should be ashamed of yourselves acting like that in front of young children. Ladies, I'm afraid I must please ask you to file into the buses and return to Camp South Pines immediately. And I'm afraid to say, the dance planned for this weekend will have to be canceled. What a gonad! I love how much Mason tries to make beef bologna his thing <laughs> he Dude's does because re- he calls it back, it back later. later yeah he, he does say um, it and later. i just want someone to be like yeah, dude stop stop calling your penis beef baloney <laughs> oh, oh, disgusting awful thankfully it. kosher <laughs> <laughs> when you write such a banger whole run of a song when you write a real banger like that like she just wants a double dose of my beef 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 baloney i i I am just i'm saying it because it seems like maybe y'all don't know that that is a real song that that was not wait what What? beef beef baloney is not written for this movie i refuse to believe it's by la la hardcore pioneer legends song by fear what the <laughs> the lead singer of Fear was Lee Ving, who you would know from as Mr. Body in Clue, uh, among <gasps> other oh my among God. other things. Holy yeah, shit! Yeah, Beef Baloney, big tune. Wow. Wait, now you're gonna tell me Down South was a real song? <laughs> yeah, it was Down South. By, is, that like, is that like by Heart or something? <laughs> Dear Mom and Dad. Wow, what a few days it's been here at Camp North Pines. Where do I even begin? Last night after the talent show got canceled, the other boys said that Chris and Runk and Mason snuck out to show the girls' camp some other kinds of talent. But they got caught by the South Pines camp director, and now Mr. Warren is sending Chris home. No one was really happy about that, so Franklin called a secret meeting of all the movie's main characters and declares (laughs) that he's going to start a revolution. But don't worry, Mom and Dad. Even though some of the other kids are saying Franklin found a gun in someone's desk drawer, it's just another camp game. Oops, gotta go. Today's the annual day where counselors become campers and campers become counselors, a tradition that seems way too fun for the current administration. <laughs> All right, soon. Dear Mom and Dad, well, I don't know what the rules are to Butterfly Revolution, but I think we're winning. Yesterday, during Counselor Camper Freaky Friday, Franklin started a chant about freeing Chris Wayne from the camp prison. Boy, was Mr. Warren mad about that. 
He chased the boys out, and Franklin called him a pervert, which really seemed to confuse Mr. Warren. And then Chekhov's gun came out. One of the boys told me the brand of the gun was a Chekhov. <laughs> then Franklin released Chris from the pen and replaced him with, with Mr. Warren and the other adults. Despite being set free, I overheard Chris tell Franklin that he had gone too far and that they should call the cops if Mr. Warren is a pervert. But Franklin said that they would have fun for now and call the cops tomorrow. Then Franklin made Don choose his loyalty between Chris and Franklin, and since he owed him a life debt, he chose Franklin. It was a camper counselor swap day to remember. My postcard is all full up now, and the other boys found some fun bug juice in the counselor's trunk, so I've got to go, but I'll write tomorrow. <laughs> Dear Mom and Dad, I really didn't think camp would warrant this many updates, but wow, it's crazy here. After liberating our camps, Franklin and the guys went over to South Pines and invited them to join the revolution too. And guess what? The counselors there agreed after being brought by gunpoint to the pen. So then, we all got to run amuck in the girls' camp, and some of the older boys were giving the girls weird hugs and butt high-fives. But the girls seemed to like it, or at least that's what the boys said. Franklin told everyone that the co-ed dance is back on, and he named Debbie acting director of South Pines. But Heather wasn't too sure about all this. Then Franklin had us all swear a loyalty oath, but it didn't seem too weird, since I'm used to saying grace at camp dinner and probably the Pledge of Allegiance in schools. Really, having to give a loyalty oath in this context really just shines a light on how weird the concept of loyalty is on a community scale anyway. Anyway, that night at the co-ed dance, the older boys mixed the fun bug juice in with the punch and everyone started dancing real close. Mason and Runk were laughing at how mad Mr. Warren would be if he saw all this, so they went and brought him into the party all tied up. Trixie started close dancing on him, and Mr. Warren looked real uncomfortable, just like Mason said he would. But you know who also wasn't happy? Chris, and he tried to stop the whole thing. Franklin told Runk to bring Mr. Warren back to the pen, but I watched them leave, and the two of them started to wrestle, and they were rolling around on the ground, but then Runk took out a hunting knife, and suddenly Mr. Warren wasn't moving anymore. <laughs> In the administration cabin, Franklin told Chris to stay out of the way and to watch the little kids like me. Runk came in crying and said that Mr. Warren was dead, and Franklin looked real nervous. He told Runk to play hide-and-seek with Mr. Warren, putting him in a cave down by the river, and that they'll tell everyone he got transferred to the girls' camp. That was a little scary, but I'm sure it's all a game still. Right? <laughs> oh, there was a loss of innocence in that <laughs> Act 2 announcement. God, Act 2 gets dark quick. Real fast. Real Act 2 quick. gets dark, but Warren is really obvious when he talks about uh, the meditation center being prison. Yes. <laughs> and after the talent show, before the revolution... <laughs> Mr. Warren locks someone into a building and everyone's like, yeah, I guess that's (laughs) that's what happens sometimes, you know, when you have an out of control kid, you gotta lock them up. Right, till the bus comes with supplies. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Franklin's brilliant, of course. He starts a revolution. Such a good smirk. Such a great <laughs> smirk. Every time he smirked in the movie, you'd get like a Casio hit. Yeah. That's how you knew he was the villain. A thing that this movie highlights about fascist revolutions is how much 
goddamn paperwork and committee assignments have to happen immediately. Otherwise, the wheels just fall off the bus. <laughs> like, boy be having committees at the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. He, Supreme Revolutionary Committee. Don is named Chairman of the Propaganda Committee, which just means, like, putting little signs up throughout the camp. I think it's so funny to, to have, like, you know, someone who's supposed to be 18 being like, here are the nine branches of government that, uh, that I see being most yeah. necessary. The rest of the movie is scenes of him behind a desk with like his head in his hands. Yeah. yeah. Just like pouring over paperwork and making announcements. Right? No, that's what I mean, where it's like, he's, he's like, we're going to party. And then he's like, soon though, for me, I've got a lot of paperwork to go Franklin through. Franklin will be able to party one day. There's also like a lot of like Scientology to it, where it's like if you do enough good for the, to show loyalty to the Supreme Revolutionary Committee, you can earn points to join the Supreme Revolutionary Committee yourself. Yeah, it really is incredible. Like he he springs up a hierarchy, not even overnight, like over morning, like yeah, immediately. Yeah. All right, listen up. We've got to do something about Warren. What do you mean? What do I mean? Look, I don't know about you, but I came here to have some fun. As long as Warren's in charge, that's just not going to be possible. He's already done away with the dance and with the talent show. Pretty soon, the only thing we'll be doing are having butterfly hunts. So, some of us have been talking and we've decided to take over the camp. Are you guys local? You're just going to get a lot of us in trouble. Nobody's going to get in trouble because nobody's going to get hurt. Yeah, it's going to be a bloodless coup. I mean that, Rivas. I mean, just think of it as a another camp game, a game like... Like Capture the Flag? Exactly. Donald, I knew you were a smart kid. Now come on up here. How long were the adults locked up without maybe food or uh, water? At least a day, which is <laughs> also, too long. So we, we barely taught... We didn't, <laughs> we didn't talk about the two other counselors... Ed Hein. They were non-entities. Drunk. <laughs> what? He's, you know him. He's Ed Hein. <laughs> talking about he's non-entity. He you know him. He's one of the few characters whose name we do know. Yes. He's Ed Hein. Clap, 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 clap. clap. <laughs> I don't want to victim blame. I just feel like they could have taken the reins back, maybe, if they had tried a little harder. <laughs> but also, they just get sent to the fucking cornfield. Yeah, they, they get do. put in that meditation center yep. and, and we, then never never, we never see, see hide them nor hair they are out again. to the yeah. movie yeah like what were the conversations happen because they then put the the, the the girls camp counselors in there true too. yeah like are they just sitting there being like well shit this sucks like, are they coming up with a plan to break are they out trying? of a very simple they can easily cabin? escape that right it's a cabin they can they have one guard and the guard doesn't have the gun Franklin has the gun and the guard's 14 <laughs> yeah I mean or they were killed. <laughs> you know. Don't they come out at the end? Or maybe not. I don't we remember. We don't see we don't see that. Yeah, I, do we not see the counselors come out? I guess we don't. The counselors? I don't know. We just see I think it's, yeah. it is implied. I think they're like, yeah, they were like I think someone's interviewing one of the counselors in the far back of the police situation because they're like, Yeah, there were like fourteen of them and they, they surrounded us, but Maybe, but that ending and I know it's the ending and but it's like they just go like, Yeah, at least two people are dead. Go home, kids. Go, <laughs> go home, everyone. Get out of here. It Another example of police just being in movies we watch just being like yeah just get out of we here we don't want to de- deal with the paperwork yeah yeah 
It would have been. We saw how bad it was for Frank. It would have been unbelievable if one of the like down the rank police officers goes into the meditation hut just like is like oh my oh Jesus alright alright fellas fellas settle down you all know me I'm Ed Hines Mr. Warren you have some announcements to make Mr. Warren Thanks, Mr. Hines. You are a fine example of what a black man can do if given the right opportunity in a white supremacist society. <laughs> From now on, all of you shall address me as your king, master of the universe. I shall abolish all nature walks and butterfly hunts. The wake-up call will be changed from 7 a.m. Well, to whenever the hell you want, okay? Yeah. And no more quiet meditation hour. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, no more bratty kids. <laughs> My beloved people, I have time to grant but one more request. Free Chris Wayne. 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 I sort of did love the like buffoon, the court jester tradition of the like counselor camper switch him up. Yeah, 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 yeah. With with like wearing the the pinwheel hats and that everything. Was fun. And the, and the counselors that aren't catching on to them being roasted, like, because you have the fake Mr. Warren up there basically just, like, dunking on everything they hate about Mr. Warren. Uh, and then, like, one of the counselors is like, yeah, and kids suck, don't they? <laughs> and then it gets booed. Yeah. Boo. <laughs> You're out of your element, Donnie. <laughs> the takeover, yeah, they, they raise up during the roast of Chuck Connors. And then, yeah, pull a gun. It's all very, uh, it, when that gun comes out, the movie does kind of shift in a way that I found kind of interesting, and it it, it was all on Chuck Connors' face, yeah. right? Which I think is both, like, telling of a veteran actor, but also would actually probably be how the situation would play out in real life, right? Which is kids, teenagers, preteens are, like, very dangerous because they have no sense of their own mora- mortality or morality, you know, it, it's it's hard before a certain age to really be able to understand the difference between, like, in 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 how serious these types of things are. And so the idea of like putting kids in like hot red short shorts with like a gun, and they're sort of like, "Haha, isn't this kind of fun? We're gonna take over," and the adults are like, "Uh." Uh, this uh, is like a really big yeah. deal. This is bad. This is yeah. very bad. <laughs> is much closer to how it would actually play out than, Agreed. you know, than is and just sort far of far more interesting cinematically than a lot of different ways that you could play it. Yeah, which I think yeah they play it a little t- like 
almost too seriously the next time the gun comes out, which is when they're taking over the women counselors, because like it, it comes with like a deep sting and he's like, Hey Runk, don't you have something to show them? And like, he yeah, whips out the gun. It, 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 it feels overly dramatic. Uh, not in a way that I think it worked better with, um, the Chuck. But Connors also that, it, it sucks because every scene with the girls camp just sort of feels rote mm. and sexist. Uh, but like mm. Mrs. Quaker is really like, Hamming it up, <laughs> playing in the playing in the cheap right. seats, fanning herself. I loved, absolutely loved the way that Franklin, when he backs Chuck Connors up against the ca- the meditation center, tells him to get in. Then he reaches up with his non-gun hand and he like grabs yes. the missile around his neck yes. and slowly kind of turtles it around Amazing. his finger before yanking it off his neck. It was, yeah, it was menacing. Uh, and it was so menacing. And that continues to be like his totem through the rest of the movie. Like he's right. twirling the whistle up until the very last shot. Yeah, with the most dramatic smirks ever. And it's awesome. It's literally, it's the conch from Lord and the Flies. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, it's like yeah. the thing at the beginning, you know, Chuck Connors tries to uh, tinkle, tinkle a glass to get their attention, but he blows the whistle so everyone listens to him because he has the whistle. Franklin uses it the same way. Yeah, and then the all the boys descend upon South camp, Pines yeah. Camp, Girls Camp, and they're having lingerie day. <laughs> this movie is... I, I understand that, like, it's the 80s and we're all sexist, haha, but it's like, this movie presents a spectrum of sexuality at the boys' camp, from, like, horny all the time, to scared and innocent to child who is just totally (laughs) to Paul Pfeiffer from the wonder years. (laughs) Right. And then all of the girls are horny all the time. (laughs) But then is that not a little bit of a setup to the very dark and unfortunate punchline of the main narrative of the third act, right? Yeah. It's another foreshadowing. Yeah. It's all fun and games until like, it's not consensual. Like, (laughs) yeah. God, good movie. <laughs> I, 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 I keep just coming back to, like, well-designed movie. I say it's time we had to see how this place is run. Yeah. 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 And keeping girls and guys apart is ridiculous. So I say that we're going to have our annual co-ed dance tonight. Now, I, Franklin Riley... I, John Mason, do solemnly swear, do solemnly swear, to be loyal and faithful, to be loyal and faithful, to the Revolution Party, to the Revolution Party, and not to betray the Revolution or its leaders, and not to betray the Revolution or its leaders, to any outsiders, to any outsiders, for as long as the revolution lives. For as long as the revolution lives. To the revolution. 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 Because yeah, you know they have the dance right, and yeah. that's where they bring you know Runk and Mason bring out Chuck Connors and 
parade him around. And, oh, yeah, in the gag and tied up. Yeah, and, you know, leading into cool Kool-Aid party uh, or or during the cool Kool-Aid party. You know, kids are getting drunk. They're, they're grinding on the dance floor. It's so weird. It's just as a concept, it's so weird that they, like, ship girls in from a girl's camp to yes. a co-ed dance for children. Well, they also do the, up, the other way around. We, so... The boys would go to the girls' camp for a dance. That just sounds like a terrible idea. But... Yeah. Did you, did that happen? You one hundred percent. Yes, you you were arranged. We got on a bus. Arranged marriage. We we got on yeah. a bus. Went to the girls' camp where music was played and everyone stood in a corner. Oh, so great! <laughs> Absolutely happened. There's something. There's a line at the very beginning. They like they. One of the rare times when a not named character has a line in this movie. Right? <laughs> there's like some little girl who looks like really ill like almost like a like a mill girl <laughs> yes. like a victorian mill girl or whatever yes. just <laughs> sitting there when the they they've taken over the girls camp they're having the dance the you know there's alcohol being poured in the punch and this little girl goes like i don't even feel like a, a kid, kid anymore, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and like a you know, soot coughs out of her throat or something back to the coal mines it was a little chilling it was a little like because uh, it was an actual kid yeah right? It was a little weird. I don't know. This movie This movie kicked up a lot of feelings for me. Franklin, look, I don't know how to tell you this. Mason and me, we were only joking. Okay. I was walking him back. Warren's dead. What? He's dead. It was an accident. A total accident. I mean, he fell on my knife. I didn't mean to do it. Honest. I mean, he's just lying out there behind cabin three. Dead. Franklin! Just shut up and let me think! <laughs> okay, Stanley. Listen very carefully. Go get Blackridge. And take Mr. Warren's body back into the woods. Take him to the caves by the river. Do you understand? Put him deep into those caves. And don't say anything to anyone. You got it? Yeah, I got it. Okay, then report back here to me after you're finished. We'll just tell everybody that we transferred him to the girls' camp. Stanley? From now on, you do exactly as I say. Do you understand? <laughs> You all know me. I'm Casey Regan. Sure, we've had our laughs here tonight. But in today's Act 3 synopsis, we're going to cover some more, well, serious topics. Concerning sexual abuse, murder, revenge, and irresponsible pig roasting. So let's make sure to give these themes the respect they deserve. So Curtin rises on another day at North Pines camp after a horrible murder. Or, wait, scratch that. An air-humping guitar solo co-snorts us back into the movie. Much more respectful. Now dressed the part, General Lisa Mo Franklin addresses his commune of campers, promising officer positions to any who show loyalty to the revolution and providing, as an example, the naming of Donald Duck Poultry to the position of Minister of Propaganda, which Duck hears while nailing a sign to a pole reading, Party Till You Puke Mess Hall Tonight, 
And that whole statement I just said has so many jokes built in it, I didn't have to write any. <laughs> Arts and crafts today is misinformation postcards back to mommy and daddy. <laughs> Even when young Peter tries to tell the truth, he's silenced. Though, I think we can all agree some amount of the problems here do stem from Peter being a bit of an oversharer. <laughs> don't even think of resisting. For their lack of acquiescence to the Franklin regime, Chris and Heather are shunned. Children run from them and cover their heads when they approach. Even Duck refuses to speak to them, which racks his nerdy heart with guilt. <laughs> But while he's somberly feeding the actual animal farm inside this threat of authoritarian populism allegory, a hot sixth grader invites him to the dance. He is on the Supreme Revolutionary Committee, after all, and everyone on the Supreme Revolutionary Committee gets laid. <laughs> Ominous foreshadowing Casio tone. Cut to Runk the Punk, now given entirely over to his sadistic tendencies, gleefully attempting to hogtie the same petting zoo pig Duck was feeding, spurned on by the snorting laughter of John Mason, who tells a couple campers to build, quote, something big. The two campers interrupt the bonfire party to smash Mr. Warren's dead butterfly exhibit. They take the stand's legs and place them on either side of the bonfire. Runk and Mason arrive with a pig tied to a spit, except much more alive than it should be. <laughs> it's going to die anyway, Runk says. Perhaps from feeding him earlier, Perhaps because he is this Lord of the Flies ripoff's piggy. <laughs> Barbecuing a live pig is rubbing Donald poultry raw. And you never store raw pig and poultry together, so he leaves. <laughs> That's cross-contamination. <laughs> and into the messy mess hall party, where all the teens are busy getting some under-the-shirt, over-the-counselors-in-training bras. <laughs> and Duck meets Lori, his sixth-grade hottie, who he invites on a walk out into the woods. Mason has already wandered into the woods with Debbie for a little hanky-panky, but when his panky gets a little too hanky for her liking, <laughs> Debbie asks him to stop. He calls her a prude and Debbie slaps him in the face, and Mason sexually assaults her. No jokes! Doug and Lori are walking in an area by the caves and smelling the dead bodies of other people. But don't worry, we don't have time to be horrified by that because they hear the screams of Debbie and show up just after the violent act has been committed. The next day, a trial is held with Franklin as judge, jury, and executioner. Mason is accused of raping Debbie. And when Debbie is asked what punishment she'd like to seek, she's like, Kill him. I don't know. What do you want from me? I don't like this guy. Kill him, please. And everyone else is pretty much on board with that. But Franklin decides to try him by trial of ordeal and forces Mason to climb across the broken bridge. Mason is able to do it despite being stoned by the girl campers. And he jumps up, announcing that justice has been done. Well, a little more justice to deliver. Now in the frontier variety as all the girls campers then heave Mason over their shoulder, quote, like an army of ants carrying a crust of bread, and pull him straight out of the movie. A few days later, two parted out to care about Franklin's despotic rule or Mason's disappearance. Duck seems to be the last camper left with any sense that this is, you know, kind of weird. So he heads out trying to find Chris Wayne who he hears, since being shunned, has been camping with Heather out in the woods, but instead trips over a branch 
and finds the body of Mason hanging by a noose from a tree branch. Moog sting. Dead kids. <laughs> dead, dead kids in the woods. <laughs> Duck tries to call for help using a jury-rigged phone he's got on the roof, but he's stopped by the head of security. He's brought before Franklin and Runk who decide to take Duck prisoner, but Chris Wayne had heard him screaming after all, and he shows up. He breaks in where Duck's being held, and Duck's does a lean-in, but wait, <laughs> to tell him how to set up a phone at the main entrance of the camp so he can call out for help. The next morning, Franklin takes Duck to another trial by ordeal, but he's just a wimpy little nerd. He's never going to be able to make it across the bridge. Runk threatens him with a knife, pushes him out on the bridge, cutting ropes. This is a more of an ordeal than anyone's had to deal with. <laughs> Duck is barely hanging on, about to fall to his rocky doom. When Chris shows up and brawls Runk, and then, like, flips him over into the ravine, which I was like, oh, so he's dead now? <laughs> and he goes over to help Duck get off the bridge safely. He then confronts Franklin, who pulls the gun on him, and Chris kicks the gun away. It's a rumble in the campground. <laughs> Sirens signal cops showing up and breaking up the camp. They take Franklin and Runk, who's fine, I guess, pulled up <laughs> out of the ravine. They take them into custody and we cut to a detective listening to Duck's recording of the entire Franklin revolution. <laughs> the cop takes Duck's tapes saying he's going to need to keep them. But Duck wants them back. And then the cop goes, okay. For a keepsake. And the cop's like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> and then sends all the campers away on a bus before leaning in and telling Franklin that his Euro parents have been informed about all of his crimes. <laughs> and that's somehow the end. <laughs> uh, yeah, just a little, again, it's, it's the right way to use obvious source material, right? The little piggy, the piggy business. Oh my god, I, I don't want to linger All on the piggy this. Business. Oh god, that Horrifying. was disturbing as hell. I'm probably a budgetary recent, but I'm so glad we didn't see any yeah. of it. Yeah, but it's also it, again restraint. The movie has restraint. Yeah, you don't need to see. Yeah, it. I was gonna it sort say of sells it's the idea. far more effective. And uh, it was funny when the the two campers made when they were like, "Hey, go build a spit." I imagine they say or whatever. He's just like, "Build something big." And uh, they go over to Mr. Warren's butterfly sort of exhibit. Like, you know, we don't need to keep dead butterflies here. Yeah, it's so sadistic. <laughs> when they burn a pig alive. Yeah, I, I agree. I actually don't think the the killing of the pig or the lack of uh, showing it was budgetary. I think that that was restraint. And it is funny because the movie has a, a good amount of restraint. And then. Also, like, in the scenes, they're like, oh, it's getting really X-rated when the kids are just sort of, like, <laughs> yeah. dancing with each other, like, very normally. Like, the points in the movie that aren't called out as being uh, provocative feel way more provocative than, yes. yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, than the scenes where they're like, oh, no, Ooh. things are getting naughty, and, and like... Trixie Baloney. is like, let's go crazy. And she starts dancing. And I was like, this is the sexy dance. <laughs> like, yeah. She yeah. looks like she's doing the Watusi. <laughs> and then you have the wholesome moment between Duck and the little girl who's crushing on him where they were going to have like this like a dance oh, lesson. Yeah. And then they're like, I don't feel comfortable here. Let's <laughs> leave. <laughs> can, can I tell you my favorite 
bit of ADR that I think is it's one of the funniest ADR decisions I've ever I guess not seen, heard. But when Duck walks into the party, Lori's like talking to an off-screen person being like, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see him. And then the ADR person goes, is that him? And Lori looks over and Lori just watches Duck approach. But the ADR performer is like, is that him? You're right. He is cute. <laughs> Lori? <laughs> Lori? <laughs> like an off-screen voice We're telling being like, a story. you're not listening to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, can you tell him? Is that, can tell me, is that him or isn't yeah. it? Are you going to introduce us or what? Like if it kept going through the scene. <laughs> so you're just acting like I'm not here. You never see this person. <laughs> the prisoner John Mason stands accused by one Debbie Stewart on the night of July 1, in the vicinity of Camp North Pines, for having committed the act of rape. Now, how pleads the defendant? Huh? The defendant, that's you. How do you plead? <laughs> Debbie says you raped her. Now, did you? <laughs> no way. You're a liar! He did! You saw that! He did! He did! He did! He did! Okay, Debbie. What do you want us to do with him? Kill him. Yeah, oh, all right. All right, what do you want me to say? Give him a detention? He raped me! And I say he deserves to die, and if you don't want to hear it, then quit asking me. I do I do have to hand it to this movie for a movie that generally treats its female characters as l- actual just plot points mm-hmm. the point when debbie is asked what do you want what what should we do with him and she goes oh well, i want him to die uh, yeah. but if you don't want to hear that don't ask me yeah. i was like yeah. i was like that's damn girl that's awesome like that's yeah, yeah. the best line written in the movie also her indignation when mason is going across the bridge and they're like you're just going to let she's like you're just going to let him do this and they start throwing rocks like they, yeah. they were they were all, all the girls in that scene were acting. And I was like, this is uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, I do kind of wish he hadn't made it across and that they had just kept, like the lotteried him and pelted him with stones <laughs> until he fell yeah. off and, and died yeah. in the Because like, you know, uh, Chekhov's ravine, no one died in the ravine. And that's a little kind of a wasted opportunity. <laughs> Not even Runk, no. who yeah. got yeeted into the ravine. <laughs> Right, especially because this is Lord of the Flies, right? And isn't the whole thing, Piggy gets killed in the ravine, and that's when they all kind of go like, whoa, we're too far? Is that how that book ends, right? They're like, maybe? I I don't remember. It was like the one piece of required reading I didn't come across in my high school career. Yeah. Oh, you didn't even, like, oh, it wasn't even that you didn't do the assignment, you just literally didn't have to. Yeah, just was never assigned it. Um, Humble brag, Lord of the Flies was for the basic English class, and I was placed (laughs) in advanced English, and we moved on from that, so. um. Okay, doc or duck. (laughs) I, I loved how much of this third act was given to the trial of Mason. Mm. Like it was, it that was a it was a pretty long sequence. It was, and yeah. Also, yeah, good for the. Um, I suppose if at a certain point you're supposed to take seriously the the like 
power structure Franklin's put together, right? And it's like fun to have a scene that undoes the central logic of it. That's sort of like it's a, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a it's a conflict point that needs resolution, and like Franklin's whole completely laissez-faire like the campers will rise up and all you need to do is show loyalty to the revolution and basically just don't tell your parents and <laughs> we'll just party all the time and i'll just leave you to be the alcoholics and sex pests you all want to be right like i'll uh, yeah you know boobs for everyone <laughs> uh, you get a boob you get a boob you get two boobs and then it like the movie gets very unfunny and like yeah. shows a conflict point of both that sort of specific 80s brand of like horny wish fulfillment movie mm-hmm, making mm-hmm. and also the conflict point of like a populist authoritarian it's like well we want this your politicos want this this system you've put together doesn't resolve these conflicts yeah and so they they hang him <laughs> it becomes a taut political thriller for the last yeah. act which i kind of love yeah <laughs> well if not thriller then at least like it it took its politics seriously or at least like it the politics it was allegorying and and the weight of it like it doesn't feel flippant in the way that it handles the rape like it feels actually shockingly measured for mm-hmm. a B movie. It's a lot less gratuitous yeah, the, than the poster would also lead you to believe in terms of yeah. that scene. By the way, like like we are. Oh yeah. We cut away from it. We come back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't see it, but we see the aftermath. We see the emotional aftermath. Yeah. On her, like she's beat up pretty good, which I feel like is something we don't usually see in yeah. these kinds of movies. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty. It's, like she's got it's, a nasty it, welt. Mm-hmm. It's very violent, and yet at the same time restrained. Yeah, I mean this this movie is this is a real ass movie. This is, you yes. know it's a it's a low budget movie, but it's a real ass movie. But it is funny that this movie hand waves its ending so hard, where oh they're like they're oh like, well, God. he's in the cop car. All the kids go home. A- abrupt cut to black. Like yeah. so, yeah. they're like, and we ran out of money now. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. You can see where the checkbook uh, ran clean, like. <laughs> you could... the, the police helps Runk get out of the canyon and he's like you could have died <laughs> that was the moment where I was like oh we're done now we, we don't get any follow up <laughs> on the fact that Runk is the one who committed murder he uh... murdered Warren murdered but who knows when and if they'll find his body also who knows? Like, we don't know. yeah. it does have like an open ending but an open ending like you got to the bottom of your backpack and you realize there's a hole and a bunch of stuff fell out <laughs> you're like oh where'd all that stuff go ah oh, whatever I felt cheapened out by the movie's ending until that shot of Franklin in the back of the cop car twirling his whistle. Whistle. And uh, that moment for me really stuck out of I was like, oh, yeah, okay, now this is a movie. This is a real ass movie. And you you ran out of money. That's fine. That's fine because you made up for it with an awesome looking image to really encapsulate your whole theme. I know that even if Chris gets through, it's going to take five hours for help to get here. But here they come to take me to the bridge. That's the last of it. But I think you get the idea of what happened, sir. We're going to keep this for a while. Okay. What about us? You two can get on the bus with most of the other kids. Good. Bushed. 
I'd like to have the tapes when you're done with them. We'll see about that. Just a little keepsake, you know. All right, campers. One more song before bed, so <laughs> if you know the words, just sing along. Coup d'etat, my lord. Coup d'etat. Kill the overlord to the coup d'etat. When they turn off your porn, coup d'etat. Hold talent show trials and coup d'etat. Rip off report card. <laughs> The Summer Camp Nightmare Ripoff Report Card is brought to you by Lord of the Pies. Just <laughs> off Interstate 95, you'll be an absolute piggy for our deserted <laughs> island cream pie. It's a beast of a portion, so be careful you don't get caught up in how delicious it is and eat too much or else you might ralph. Lord of the Pies, right next to Castle Rock, Maine, off Route 95. As the majority of folks who went to high school know, except for me who somehow never received the assignment, the definitive tale of kids forming a civilization on their own and devolving into violence and chaos was William Golding's 1954 novel, Lord of the Flies. But it was not necessarily the first. Jules Verne published an adventure novel in 1888 called The Two Years' Vacation, which tells of a group of schoolboys stranded on an island, but who face a much more optimistic fate. Verne explained that his goal with the novel was to create a Robinson Crusoe-like environment for children and to show the world what the intelligence and bravery of a child were capable of when put to the test. That's a huge step away from Piggy getting crushed by a boulder rolling down the mountain. <laughs> Additionally, Golding himself actually received inspiration from an OG OG source, that of 1857's The Coral Island, A Tale of the Pacific Ocean, which he deemed to be a, quote, unrealistic portrayal of stranded children. <laughs> the Coral Island lauded the influences of Christianity via missionaries and the, quote, inherent superiority of civilized Europeans over the South Sea Islanders. And the main children of the book were depicted as rather well-adjusted in their shipwreck state and spread a positive influence on the natives of the island. In response to this book, William Golding asked his wife, Anne, if it would be a good idea if I wrote a book about children on an island, children who behave in a way that children would really behave, and thus the classic characters of Ralph, Piggy, and Jack, and their misadventures in the Pacific Island was born. It's interesting to note that two of the main characters in the Coral Island were also named Ralph and Jack, and that Golding's characters have often been interpreted as caricatures of those characters. Much like modern fan fiction, I love this idea of just reading a book and being like, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. I'm just going to make it better. <laughs> Golding's book was also influenced by his traumatic experiences in World War II. Thus, the cynical nature of the book that depicts a group of school children stranded on an island devolving into disorder, chaos, and violence. The book, as taught for generations, has served as an allegory for the human condition, our dueling human impulses towards civilization and social organization, and towards our desire for power. And focusing it, of course, on children heightens these philosophical ideas and makes the argument that they are all base concepts of human nature and how we are all destined to act. And of course, this dichotomy, as successful as it was for The Lord of the Flies, makes it even more interesting a thread to follow in the countless pieces of media that followed in the book's wake. For there are a lot more tales to be told of children descending into chaos in the wilderness rather than the children succeeding under adversity. 
For The Lord of the Flies alone, there were three feature film adaptations, as well as one announced by Warner Brothers in 2017 to feature an all-female cast. This film was ultimately scrapped, but it did inspire the 2021 series Yellow Jackets, in which a girl's soccer team's plane crashes in the wilderness of Canada, forcing the surviving members to be left stranded for 19 months and eventually driven to cannibalism. Season 2, airing now. (laughs) Famously, an episode of The Simpsons titled Das Bus mirrored Lord of the Flies in every way after the Simpsons children and their classmates land on a desert island. Also notably, a different episode, Camp Krusty, also mirrors the plot of our movie this week, in which Bart leads a revolution against the camp director and counselors of a Krusty the Clown-themed summer camp, an episode we watched last night. Uh, (laughs) A pretty much forgotten show on Discovery Kids that I loved as a child was Flight 29 Down, starring high school musicals Corbin Blue, which focused on a plane crash of L.A. teens deserted on an island, which also may have been more than a little Lost-inspired. See also in Lord of the Flies media influences, Lost. But even more interesting than the fictional inspirations in the wake of Golding's novel is the non-fiction inspirations. In 2009, Channel 4 in the UK aired a four-part series called Boys and Girls Alone. It was a reality series featuring 20 children aged between 8 and 11 living without adults in two separate villages, one for boys and one for girls. One hilarious clip from this series shows the girls basically thriving in their community, forming a chore chart and a sense of structure, while the boys wallow in filth and disorder. In the last days of the series, each group had to go on a three-day camping trip, which included the girls skinning and eating a rabbit and boys fishing for food. Keep in mind once again, these children were between the ages of 8 and 11. The series attracted a lot of criticism for child abuse and cruelty, and as a result, the UK government ordered a review of child employment laws. The show received over 180 complaints from the public. But we would be foolish to assume only the UK could exploit kids on TV in this way. Enter 2007's Kid Nation in America, which ran on CBS for one season. In this show, 40 kids from ages 8 to 15 lived for a month on a ranch outside of Santa Fe. Producer Tom Foreman gleefully acknowledged that Kid Nation would inevitably share some elements with Lord of the Flies because that makes good television. (laughs) But he insisted that all the participants were cleared by a team of psychologists and any child could choose to go home at any time, which three ultimately did. (laughs) The show unsurprisingly garnered some criticism and some investigations into child welfare as related to reality television. One participant, Jimmy, interviewed many years later, criticized the harsh conditions of the show, such as the poor sanitary conditions one outhouse for 40 children and no showers until the first challenge survivor style had occurred and poor sleeping conditions he also pointed out that on two separate occasions ambulances were called because one child accidentally consumed bleach from an improperly rinsed container and one child burned her face with grease while cooking Since the inspiration for all this media, including our movie Summer Camp Nightmare and the book it's based on, stems back to Golding's novel, it's hard to see psychologically or philosophically if his work has realistic merit. Are we beholden to a specific human condition that drives us to order and a thirst for power simultaneously, so easily corrupted without the influence of established systems? Or are these just the cynical thoughts of a member of the Royal Navy in World War II that saw too many of his young companions killed unnecessarily? It's hard to say. But when it comes to showing kids in a summer camp rising up against their counselors and embracing fascism, it definitely makes good television. And that has been the Summer Camp Nightmare Ripoff Report Card. (laughs) (laughs) All right, kids, one more song before bed, but you got to help me out, okay? All right.
Rise, rise, rise against the counselor bourgeois. Rise, Marshmallow rise, roasting, rise then violent the revolting. Rip bourgeois. off report card. Rise, 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 rise against the counselor bourgeois. I have no Wait a minute. Greg gave up halfway through. Josh has never heard row, row, row your boat before. <laughs> Welcome to camp. <laughs> I've been caught in my lie of going to camp for six consecutive years. Uh, well, rip off report card. <laughs> rip off report card. Okay, campers, before we all get on the buses and promise each other falsely that we'll stay in touch when we go to school and or the Hague for war crimes. <laughs> Tell me what might be on the final test from Summer Camp Nightmare. <laughs> when you look at the actual tagline, Dear Mom, the camp director is dead, the counselors are locked up, and the kids are out of control. Having a wonderful time. Love, Marvin. <laughs> Who's Marvin? <laughs> <laughs> Dear mom in a tagline for a movie. <laughs> you can't put a character that's not in the movie in the tagline for a movie. <laughs> Who's Marvin? How dare this movie steal my likeness and life rights? Camp North Pines and its parent company, Lionsgate, will be hearing from my lawyers. <laughs> Again, I am not a smart person, so Summer Camp Nightmare joins the top echelon of missing the point satires I'm building my personality around. <laughs> so with smugly reminding people that we live in a society and getting all my masculinity from the fight club I'm not allowed to talk about, I now know that every drowning kid is an opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> you miss 100% of the drowning kids you, you don't, don't say. <laughs> My name is Greg, and I'm here to say we didn't talk about the 80s rap enough today. From Casey, Jamie, Josh, and me, rise up against the counselors and be free. Perfect way to end. Oh, Perfect respect. way to end. Hip-hop was born down the camp. <laughs> the bell tolls on another class here at Video High. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you too, especially to Seth Applebaum of Ghost Funk Orchestra and Gabriella Tessitore of the band Scout Harris for our theme music. Thank you to Justin Ferrero of the band The Rizzos for all our other music. And thank you, Ann Shearer, for our logo. Of course, thank you to our teacher, Mr. Marlowe. Our next full lesson will be on the very 1992 Adventures in Dinosaur City. But also, we are going to be putting out more extra credit episodes in between our full episodes. So keep your eyes peeled on our social medias. That's at Video High Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and now TikTok. Throw us five stars over at Apple Podcast. Or just, you know, like us however you want. And don't ever leave us. It's sort of the opposite of what Steel Dawn was in a way. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's not enough to just take something and make it a different genre. You do have to build it out and make it a world as well. Yeah, you have to make it a copper sunset. Copper sunset. <laughs> <sighs> 
It's Josh, Josh, Josh. <laughs> We're killing it with these puns today. Simple Equations Podcast Network.